Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is Friday, November 8th, and you How are listening to... How could you like to- Chunky over Smooth? Like Waypoint Radio, episode 201. Smooth. Class is now in session. I made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich today, and you know what I used? Smooth. Chunky. Because I, I know what the fuck is going on. Smooth. No, Walker, because I went to today. the store this weekend and bought Chunky on purpose. This I isn't pushed- a mistake. Kato didn't fuck up. They're just talking over me. This is real. Uh, those are the voices of Natalie Watson, Patrick Klepek, Rob Zachney, also here with us. What? What is happening? What is? What is uh, the debate? Patrick is blasphemous. I get so upset when my wife buys. She sometimes will get that chunky stuff, and then oh, good, another uh, another soup? domestic resentment about? of Patrick Klepek. <laughs> Let's dig into this. Wait, we're talking about peanut butter. We're talking about peanut butter, chunky or smooth. We can have both. She prefers the chunky. I just, I just get both. Just get both. Because then I get the chunky, and I love peanut butter. And I'll I eat love it, peanut butter. But I peanut resent good. every single bite of it. Well, can we get, get a census going here? Don't Patrick no. Smooth, Rob, smooth. Natalie. <laughs> Natalie, my nose just started bleeding. I'm. <laughs> wait, read that right into the record, Patrick. Wait, whose nose started bleeding? <laughs> uh, Natalie. Because she was thinking about that chunky peanut butter. <laughs> she was I mean, it worms its way in there. She was just cutting rails of chunky peanut butter. <laughs> oh my and, god! Uh, turns out you shouldn't do that. Don't do uh, that, Rob. While Natalie is cleaning up, I don't know. I don't. There get we go. Strong, Natalie's back. I, I don't get strong opinions on this. Like you don't. I don't like you chunky weak peanut butter. Opinions. Is, it's it's fine some of the time, right? Like sometimes chunky peanut butter is yes. delicious. There some are also the times time. when I just want smooth peanut butter, or also. There's a lot of times you need to bake, and you can only use smooth peanut butter because okay. you're using it as a fat and a flavoring agent. And a flavoring agent, like, yeah, totally. Like, so what's the I most useful thing to have? To as an ingredient, smooth is more accessible and useful. What if you could only have one in the world? Like, what if you, you could either chunky. only have chunky or smooth, and the other chunky. one is eliminated? You could never have it. Chunky. What? No. This is a but, thought experiment. You say chunky. You would chunky. lose all food that cooks with peanut butter. No, I would just cook it with the chunky. <laughs> you'd just be like pulling the, the nuts out. No, you couldn't. That's what like... I'm saying. It's, it's magic. You Wait, could you not can't make it smooth yourself. You cannot smooth no, the but peanut I, no, butter. No, I want to live in the world where Natalie is buying big Costco tubs <laughs> of chunky peanut butter. She's laying out on the ground, putting out like a tarp. Yeah. She dumps it out. Yeah. She's got a bucket where she's just extracting like gold. The nuts. Like yeah, just like gold. shoving the smooth yeah. peanut butter through to get those nuts out. God. I would go smooth. I'm, I, I like smooth better as it is. Like my default, I'd rather have smooth peanut butter 99% of the time. Every now and then, I don't when mind do it. When you go for a chunk? Oh, you don't mind a chunk? I don't mind it if it's a night, if it's that, if it's once in a while. But if someone, if I, if I go to the store and come home with chunky peanut butter, it's going to go in my cupboard for 
months, and I'm going to go out and buy another different smooth one. Damn. That's who I am. If it's good enough Santana, it's good enough for me. Excuse me? Santana? Who? Smooth Mm. by Rob Thomas. I hate this. I hate the show we're doing. I thought you Welcome. were doing a. I thought you were doing a bit. No, no, <laughs> I wasn't. One. You're the only one who thought of "Smooth" by Carlos Santana featuring Rob Thomas. No, I'm pretty hit. sure that's an extremely popular song. <laughs> it is extremely. I'm popular not being sarcastic. Song. I think it's like more popular than you would think. I it's like more popular than anything we've ever done. How popular? For sure. Just, how popular is Rob Thomas? It has a great opening line. I think, man, it's a hot one is a great opening line. Yes. Here we go. August 2nd, 2018. Smooth Santana. Billboard. Do Happy the right 60th thing. birthday, Hot 100. Santana and Rob Thomas's Smooth is still your second biggest song ever. The people are with me. I did a search for Smooth Santana, Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing, AMV, and nothing. It didn't come up. I'm a little upset about that. I thought it's like just, it's an opportunity. Yeah, I have to make one. I make another AMV this week. Uh, today, as you might have already guessed, we are focusing on some questions. We have a question bucket that is filled with questions, new and old, uh, and we got some time in front of us. So let's just start digging in. And I've, I've kind of pulled out some new ones to try to stay fresh. But if we want to dip into the old ones, you just let me know. We got what like twenty six in there from two years ago, so there's a chance, you know. Slowly working our way through it all. This first one comes in from Carlos. 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 It was a K A, but then the Carlo, A had like Carlos a, actually wrote in. I Carlos wrote. Carlos Santana has written in, <laughs> and who and says, "Wow, I love your subterfuge coverage so much." Uh, uh, I would love to know. So so Carlos wrote in and said, basically said that the subterfuge game was really interesting because uh, it presented this notion of the security dilemma, which is a a thing in international relations. I don't want to get into, and this is a whole long thing. Uh, but my question to you all is, do you have any other examples besides subterfuge of a systemic approach to political thought being portrayed in games? I'd love to hear Rob's thoughts regarding war games, but with your recent discussions of AAA developers' reluctance to embrace the portrayal of the political climate in their games, perhaps you have, you have some ideas of games or any other media for that matter that tackle a particular worldview with the same clarity. Thank you all for your great work. All the best from Latvia and London, Carlos. I mean, so if you want to talk about like International relations modeling, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I think Europa Universalis 4 is legitimately a good attempt at doing that. And basically what it's modeling is this idea that uh, relationships take a long time to form in IR. Like even if like two countries' interests align, if they have historically not gotten along or just haven't interacted, there mm. is no real fondness or affection between those nations. And so... What you have to do is actually invest your diplomatic resources in generating that kind of goodwill and making those outreach efforts through, like, uh, you know, if you're, like, monarchies, arranged marriages, treaties, uh, you know, gifts. Later on, it can be other things as well, but friction points will be a downward drag on that. Uh, So I think EU4 does a good job of modeling uh, IR. It also tries to touch on things like Political thought to an extent in the sense that, um, you know, when the Reformation hits, it radically recasts the political landscape in European Universalis for because suddenly, like, large fractions of Europe go, like, go over to various flavors of Protestantism, and then a lot of uh, Europe stays under Catholicism, and that creates, like, instant schisms that cr- cut across pre-existing mm-hmm. diplomatic alignments, which is really cool. 
thing, last thing I'll point you to, if you really want to see a game with an interesting take at uh, like modeling political thought, Victoria 2 is a game that actually has like really detailed demographics uh, of your country. And so, like for instance, one of the interesting things that it tries to get into, and it's a very, it, it's, it's funny. I, I think a lot of people who worked on it were uh, fairly conservative in terms of their political beliefs. But the game ends up being kind of Marxist because it just roughly ends up replicating like a lot of Marxist thought and theory and like theories of history. So like one of the things it depicts is a lot of primarily agricultural countries with like large uh, peasant classes and uh, like small craftsmen in the countryside being overtaken by industrialization and creating new classes of workers uh, for like factories and like... um, industrial revolution type jobs the catch is those jobs require things like an educated workforce so you build Mm -hmm. schools but once the classes develop class awareness and their education level sort of catches up suddenly they don't just want to be like peasants (laughs) but they work in factories they want Mm -hmm. like other things too and then all hell breaks loose uh so that's actually a pretty cool game that tries to get at some of that stuff I would say this is a great um, instance of there's that great phrase hidden curriculums, right? Like that the, the things in our in our world, the the media that we have, but also literally our educational systems, and, and in this case, our games are often filled with a sort of hidden curricula uh, of information, ideas, and worldviews that are taught to us, even though they are not necessarily being pedagogical in the moment. Um, you look at something like like the SimCity series, right? And, mm. and look at the ways in which like uh, those games model. I want to be clear, not just the SimCity series. I think this is true for most uh, city simulations uh, in different ways, but they all have a certain idea of the way taxes work. They all have a certain idea of the way <clears throat> population density creates or you know affects uh, uh, the availability of of luxury goods or uh, of jobs. Uh, about the ways in which waste is produced and managed, especially the way things like crime uh, are produced and affect uh, uh, the the residents of a, of a city. Um, games are filled with that stuff, especially strategy games, and especially games that care about society in that way. Um, and so I think, I, for, for me, I, I the thing that I, I think about the other way is, um, so that's one way, which is like, okay, how does City Skylines, how does SimCity do that stuff constantly, whether or not they believe it. In some cases, like, I... I can't pull the the particular um, person out of out, name out of my head right now. I can't pull it out of nowhere. But the initial SimCity was being built sp- on a specific um, kind of social theory. God, I want to look it up so bad. I'm not gonna. I'll I'll, I'll do it when we when when I drop and, and toss to somebody else. I'm gonna find the particular person's understanding of economics that it's working off of. But the other side of this is the thing that we've talked about a few times, which is. Games can sometimes do the other thing and say, I'm going to tackle this thing. And in some cases, I think they work pretty well. Um, there's a game I really love called Real Real Lives 2010, uh, which is a, a life simulation that is, <laughs> I want to say it's built in like Java or something. It is like the most janky um, like app you can download from the internet from a weird website that in that same like in that way that you used to do when you had your first computer you know what i mean just like Mm -hmm. weird windows and text boxes and dialogue boxes and stuff um in which it just tosses you in the role of a person in the world 
And so one day you might show up and you've been born to, to two people in Mexico City and one of them works at a restaurant and one of them sells jewelry in the marketplace. And then like, all right, you live your life one year at a time and you just like click buttons to see what happens. Uh, and it's one of those games that predates what we would call the empathy game like uh boom of the of the or like the games for change boom of the early 2010s um but the but but i think it's actually more effective than a lot of those in in just like casting someone's life into relief and be like all right here is a here is a person's life from one until 50 uh, or until 80 or whatever and the ease with which those who were born in like though in Western Europe or in North America, uh, to those or or in you know industrialized so you know so called industrialized countries, uh, the ease with which they can move through society and life, they can cross borders that you can you can like rearrange your entire life in that game, uh, is is it's like one small lesson it teaches, but it teaches that super well that like it it, it communicates that sort of material privilege with a lot of clarity, especially at that global scale. I don't think it's a perfect game. It came out in 2010. It's an educational piece of software, uh, but it's worth looking at. The other side of that is when they fuck up, and that's like Spent is the one that I come back to a lot. Um, mm. Spent is a, is a game that was designed uh, by an ad agency um, for an, like the urban ministry of, of someplace uh, that's a, it was intended to create empathy. It's, it's supposed to be an empathy game. It's supposed to be about um, you know creating empathy for those who are who are the the working poor is I think actually how they talk about it, um, and but studies show there's a study by Psychology Today that showed that like actually the game has no effect on positive feelings about poor folk. Uh, in fact, in some cases, uh, it had negative effects because uh, it taught players. It's a game in which you play someone who is who is uh, working and who is very poor, uh, and who has to try to overcome those things to improve your 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 kind of your uh, class standing. Uh, get into a better apartment, get into a better house, you know, make sure your kids are eating well. That's all dialogue-driven and, and text-based with some, like, light graphical interface stuff. But for some players, you they left it feeling like, oh, well, why don't more poor people just make the right choices? Uh, and, it, you know, as someone who grew up uh, on public uh, assistance and who would not be here if my mom did not get her disability check, uh, I absolutely know that, in fact... To be poor is to lose agency, is to not be able to just make choices from a fucking drop-down list. Um, and so that's one of the situations where the game intended to tell, tell me something about the world, and instead, and instead, for some subset of its players, taught them the literal opposite thing, and, and modeled the sort of libertarian view on on poverty, which is, it's a, once the market is totally free, you can just be a free agent, and then you can everything will just work itself out. The invisible hand will, will sweep in, and those who work hard will be paid for it. Uh, Natalie, do you have any? Do you have, is that a hand? No, I couldn't think of one that I feel like. I I feel like there are a lot of games that that seek to to do this sort of thing in in the way that you're talking about Austin, um, mm -hmm. but often like show show the holes in in a in a way that is counteractive to like the mission statement itself that they were going for. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't have uh, any ones that stood out to me at the top of my head. How about you, Patrick? Does anything anything else nope. come to mind for you? Okay. Um, I was looking to figure out this this SimCity inspiration that I 
No is somewhere in Ian Bogost's show notes. unit operations, but show notes. It'll make its way into the show notes. Uh, all right, next question. Let's keep it moving. Keep it, keep it moving quick. This one comes in from Tom, who says, Longtime listener, first-time caller, I'm curious. We live in an era of extremely public online criticism, and I often feel unsure uh, of how or if to partake. Um... I feel comfortable in my convictions and want to express them in a constructive manner, but fear partaking in the discourse in a way that is ultimately harmful or self-serving. There are so many examples of people trying to help and just making it worse, and I wish quite strongly to avoid this. How do you all conduct your more open public criticisms, particularly as people who find yourselves at odds with a vocally conservative body of gamers slash professionals? Um, so, what do you think? I, I feel like this has been, we've been in the middle of this the last couple of weeks in some ways based on things like the ways outlets have covered the rock star uh, uh, labor allegations um, but also just in general you know we're not that far removed from from the time that I wrote a piece about about was it fucking David Brooks the one who said mm-hmm. that Italian meats were ruining American education so like yeah you know every now and then that was this year do you remember that uh, Fuck. no that feels God. like last year Hundred really percent. If you'd asked me, like, I swear, gun to my head, this year or last year, I would have said it could have been last year. Listen, it could have been. Uh, it's been a long time. Is long. It was last year. It was last year. It was last year. Okay. All right. Cool. Shoo. 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 Okay. Survive. It was last July. It was right after E3. So you know, I had that take in me about Italian meats. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know, for my part, for my part, the first step I take is like, do I have anything interesting to actually say here, or am I just trying to get jabs in and if it is just getting jabs in are those productive in some way um are those useful for like genuinely really actually useful and not just in like a quick morale boost way because sometimes dunking on something can feel good in a way that you can convince yourself there's a public good being done uh but but really for me it's like am i identifying something that someone else hasn't already said uh would i be better off boosting someone else who's already said this in a way and co-signing their position uh, or do I genuinely have a, th- a take that feels unique and feels meaningful and feels like my saying it in my own words gives it my credibility um, and there are times for that uh, and so when I do that I do my best not to be I do my mm, I judge really strongly whether or not I want to be mean Right, I judge. I, I judge very carefully whether or not I want there to be vitriol in my voice because sometimes I do because there are things that in the world I don't not mostly not inside of the world of gaming, uh, though I think sometimes inside of the world of gaming uh, there are times that that I I want that to be the case. You know, and I, when I go back and look at some of the stuff I was writing and talking about when it came to the Black Lives Matter movement in in 2014, like, it was important that my anger was there. So much about Black Lives Matter has been about understanding who gets to be angry. And so I don't want to, like, self-censor in that way. I want the right to be angry about being killed by police, right? Like, that is is a thing that I think black folks should continue to be angry about and seeding that we – seeding the ability to be angry when others are – you know, obviously allowed to be angry is, is a mistake. So I, I want to like hold that capability in my hands. But when it comes to like, I think this article is bad. I think this, this, you know, whatever the, the, the article du jour that's going around, I do my best to focus in on ideas. Um, but I don't know that that's the 
I don't know. That's just my personal strategy, and it served me pretty well. I'm also in a in a place where, like, as the EIC of something, I cannot swing my elbows the way I used to do as a freelancer. When I was a freelancer, I fucking went in because, in some ways, one, you you are more in a more precarious position because you don't have health insurance, and because you know you are not making a living wage, you're making you know a couple of bucks per hour by the time you're done writing a review. Uh, but at the same time, because you're not as integral into the sort of political spaces because you're not going to see somebody at an event necessarily um, because you don't have a boss who is going to tell you that like you <laughs> tone it the fuck down, tone it the fuck down. For instance, per, you pick know, your maybe battles, pick your yeah. battles. Like it's easier to be the person who can be a bulldog. And I think we need those bulldogs, even if I'm not the bulldog I once was. Yeah. Like I'm, um, so when I wrote the piece a couple of weeks back about, like the media having to do a better job holding sort of like folks like Rockstar accountable when you're given access to people in positions of power and just really speaking to the labor conditions at Rockstar and the conditions under which Red Dead was made. Like I made a conscious choice in what I said over social media and in the piece I wrote to not mention the author. Um, and that was like for a couple of reasons. One, I know that because uh, I've seen this happen, I've had to learn this lesson the hard way is that once you reach a certain sort of popularity, for lack of a better word, like people will go out and do things that are in your name that yeah. you do not intend to happen. So you have to be so incredibly careful about where that power gets tossed because you can't control things to people may be well-intentioned, but they may be doing things, saying things that you don't want them to say. And so I, I in that particular instance, I, even if I had, and I did and do have like very specific sort of criticisms of choices that the, the the reporter or the author made, I tried to focus my criticisms on the idea and sort of like the general trend because although I was using that article to sort of soapbox about this particular point, I was sort of speaking writ large to like something that the media should be doing and failings that I've had, failings that other reporters have had, and that we should hold ourselves to higher standards when given such access in the future. But like the, the reasons for, for not naming that were, were twofold was one, like I said, mentioning uh, uh, trying to be focused on the idea and then also realizing, because I've had this go wrong in the past where I have called out people and it went wrong in such a like disproportionate way that when you are going to call someone out specifically like and know that certain parts of it are going to get away from you like it has to be for like very specific reasons in which like the good is going to outweigh the bad in terms of like what you are attacking and even like uh, like smaller stuff like it used to be a lot more fun to just like dunk on people on twitter like just shitty people who were just like being purposely shitty like it was fun to like quote tweet quote tweet someone that's being an asshole and just say something snarky back i just yeah. don't really do that stuff anymore i used to do it I don't know, say a lot, but like frequently enough that I remember doing it. And then I have just kind of gotten away from that because I don't – some person who's being shitty, quote tweeting them and then dunking on them. Like what is that accomplish? Like I'm not I'm not attacking an idea. I'm not even attacking a real person. Like, like especially, that person. especially if it's like, okay, this is a person with 500 followers. Half the time like all I would be doing if I was doing that would be giving them the platform that, that we've built, right? Is like – Hey, this is a person who's just being like a shithead to me. It's so easy for me. They're to just trying them. to get this out. I'm just giving yes. like what I get out of uh, likes and and retweets over people agreeing with a a, a well written dunk 
It doesn't advance the, it doesn't, if it's not advancing anything, like when I've gotten around to doing that stuff these days, it's like, okay, you're going to screen capture it. You're going to blur out the person. And then I'll get, you know, criticized from some of us. Like, well, why, you know, why, you know, cover why the identity this of this bigot person or whatever. Yeah. Right. And like, I, I understand where that, that criticism or that reaction comes from. But for me, it's more like, okay, if I'm going to choose to be, this is the person, this is the account, this is the tweet that I'm going to deconstruct and respond to. Hopefully, the reason that I'm doing that is because it's not about a knee-jerk response. It's, it's more about there's an idea that needs to be deconstructed here, and I think it is worth weighing in, talking about it, and, and working through it because it's less about the person as much as, like, what this thing represents. Sure, but I also <laughs> think that <laughs> – I think I think that's very true, and I think there, there are instances in which the ideas are more prevalent, but we – I think it's also – important to like there's there's a difference between calling people out and like holding people accountable um and i think there's a way to constructively hold people accountable to um or or it it can be in the way that you're talking about patrick where you like blur out the names and just say you know don't do this like but but if you're perpetrating like a format that is dangerous like i think you know uh, even with with the the uh reports of the shooting this morning like we see time and time and again outlets using uh creating like legacy profiles like using names like uh, doing profiles on on the the um uh perpetrators of these horrific crimes and uh of these mass shootings and and time and time again like it just keeps on happening and like there are times when like it is like what you're doing is dangerous when, when things that you're doing is dangerous or or you know th- you have to hold people accountable to to that sort of thing but in terms of like participating in discourse um it can be it is frustrating to res- to to receive criticism that doesn't feel well founded um that doesn't feel like you took the time to yeah. so I, I would say like if you're going to respond to something take the time to like really read it through and like you said Austin like feel like, scan scan the responses you know scan like what the discourse has looked like if you are adding to a, a, a choir of of similar responses then maybe it's not super necessary if you feel like you have something nuanced to say then uh perhaps that's different but the most frustrating thing to be is to be genuinely seeking out feedback and criticism because i think that criticism can be is is constructive and um you know discourse uh requires like multiple voices from multiple perspectives but to feel like what you have said hasn't even been read and what what you're getting is knee-jerk reactions and knee-jerk responses is is frustrating and it feels like a failure of the of, of the system itself so um yeah yeah, my... yeah totally i think i i i do want to clarify a couple of things there just because i want to make sure people don't walk away thinking that what i was saying was like don't bother responding at all to things right there are there's i think a, a distinction between I'm not saying bite your tongue when you see injustice, right? Yeah. Um, what I am saying is I'm never giving Colin Moriarty my platform no matter how many of you motherfuckers ask me to debate him. Yeah, fuck I'm, a troll. Uh, like, like, I'm never giving somebody else 
who I think is would benefit from my credibility. Um, I'm never going to co-sign that, which is is what tends to happen when I lean in in that way, right? Which you're is getting like, dragged down to their level by the sheer act of engagement. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, partly it is about levels, but I think partly it's also just about like legitimizing I, yeah legitimizing a perspective and like engaging in heads on head on with something like that is like and also part of it is like i don't give a like i'm not trying to win a debate like i'm trying to put my ideas into the world and those ideas are clear and those ideas are are able to to be arrived at but that's a different thing than like trying to call out someone who has been abusive uh or trying to make sure people understand the when when uh or here's the other big one is at the the other thing at this point is I've been in this industry long enough that when this comes up I tend to just message someone privately and be like yo this is actually fucked up right and that ends up being a much more constructive and powerful way to convince someone that they fucked up than if I put them on blast in public the times that I'm still really willing to put people blast on public is when I'm punching up when I'm punching at a not not directly at a peer but at at a company uh, at someone who's representing or doing the work of uh, a major corporation um, and where I think it's important to to recognize what the power structure is there um, mm-hmm. so that it is not just like, yo, you wrote a shitty review. <laughs> and what it is is like, is like, hey, yo, CD Projekt Red, the way that you have been acting on both your account and on the good old games account uh, is indicating that you think that trans lives don't matter, right? Like you are deeply dehumanizing a group of human beings willing to say that every day. And like, if you're the person who runs that social account, do fucking better. Um, that's, that's the places where like, I'm hyper comfortable being aggressive and rude because CD project red has such a bigger, like all of these game companies have, <laughs> have such a bigger uh, uh, reach than what, than what we have. So dramatically out, outnumbered in that way uh, that I'm not calling attention. I'm not giving them a platform. I'm, I'm using my platform to, to, to call attention. Rob, as you know, as our number one elbow thrower right now. SAS master. Oh, I don't know. SAS master, SAS master incorporated. Rob I Zach. tend to be pretty circumspect. Uh, you know, just generally approving from the sidelines. Uh, I don't like to call people out. And uh, no, I mean, I think for me, um, let's put this. So as a freelancer, a lot of what you're doing is you're watching what you fucking say. Like there's a lot of stuff that oh, like yeah. Yeah. you just don't yeah, like true. you see it, you don't love it, you don't comment on it though, because like that shit gets remembered. Like there's a few editors who are comfortable putting out there like how fucking petty they were. There were a few editors who would like sort of let the mask slip and be like, you know, hey, just pro tip to freelancers out there, but and like you always figure if there's those people who are showing that, there's probably a couple others who like, even if they don't know it, maybe do carry like grudges they're not even aware of, right? And so you always have to be like really friendly, positive, uh, infinitely forgiving, uh, including like uh, people who also just don't fucking pay you for ages on it. And that part sucks, yeah. And so part of it is I had a, I I did my time of like eating shit with a smile, uh-huh. and I also did my time of watching people phone it in and doing work that like I knew like I knew I coulda or a lot of peers coulda done far better work, uh, made much more of an opportunity, 
and see that we're good people who are willing to play a different ball game, right? Who are willing to be uh, a little less pointed or critical in their coverage. And I'm at a point where I just don't have to give a shit anymore. Like, I don't have to pretend that that's cool or that we're peers. Fuck you. Like, if you're like if you're just going to sit here taking up space, what the fuck good are you? Like, See, I, I have like such the opposite thing. I have such the opposite thing, which is like, as a freelancer, I had the freedom to do that because I was an outsider. Yeah. And like, as, I, like, especially as a black like queer freelancer like there was not a there was not a world in which i was where i felt represented and so i was like yo fuck off there are people who still have me blocked and have me muted who are like not not because i was like mad at the way that they were handling gamergate do you know what i mean not even mad not even like fuck off like like hey don't equivocate these two don't equivocate the victims of gamergate with the members of gamergate please blocked for that type shit and I'm happy about that. Like, fuck them. I don't care now. I'm with you on that one. I had those fights. I'm happy about having those fights then. But it's weird because I think now that I'm in the space, I feel like I have a – now that I'm in the space, as the editor-in-chief of a site, it feels like the way that I should combat that stuff is by, like, making decisions that highlight the work of marginalized writers, by making sure that you have a space and are protected to swing fists when it's time to swing fists, but me – for whatever reason, I think it's I think it's just the I think it's just like the role I'm supposed to play at this point. It's like I want to I want to work on this other level where it's like if I did that, you would suffer the consequences. I don't want the situation where Natalie doesn't get to go to a press event because I'm an asshole to somebody. But also, when someone calls up and says Rob was mean to me on or Rob was mean about the division, I go to have a better answer. Right. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, in some ways, it's the best of both worlds. Now that I think about it. Um, so, so thank you all for your various answers. Uh, keep on moving. How's that sound? Next up is a question. It's over here. I changed all my my things around. This is a, a similar question. Speaking of freelancing. Daniel writes in and says, I started a new creative creative endeavor recently. I write short uh, opinion type articles. First, do you have any recommendations to get even a small number of views? Because I get zero. Secondly, the bigger question, how do you not drive yourself crazy worrying about them views? A lot of my creative projects seem to end once I get to the stage where I put things out there. Not being read is demoralizing and having to hustle to be seen makes me feel needy, needy. And not hustling to be seen makes me feel like a coward. It's not fun, and it really detracts from the joy of being creative. I have a question. Wait, is it opiniony or oniony? Because I, I, I think it's opinion. I think it's, it's oniony. I think it's like on like the, like onion, the onion. Like I right? don't think it's oniony type pieces. Okay. I guess it could I, be. I'm 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 on Austin's side. I think it's opinion. Team onion or team opinion? I'm on the team opinion. Onion. I'm like okay. looking how you would type this. I'm not going to make it's fun cre- of this. Look, I don't it's know. A creative endeavor. No, it's not. I'm, if, I'm if it's not making fun of it at all. Blogger. I've started a blog. I'm writing opinion articles. They're doing right. onion articles, which is, I would say, that more creative. That takes creativity. Yeah. They both take creativity. Yes, they do. But I'm saying yes. one would self-identify uh-huh. making assumptions. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even doing a bit or making a joke. I was actually curious if, okay. if we should read it as oniony or opiniony. But it doesn't really make a difference. It could be oniony. It could be oniony. Anyway. anyway. I, I feel like we uh, answered a similar question yeah. to this before about like i can't remember the exact phrase but it's in in the same ballpark of like you know how do you justify or how do you feel like doing things like for yourself or for like 
I think what was the term? It was professional. Like, like if you're not doing something that's going to be something professionalized, like what is what is the right, point? Right, right. And yeah. this is just a different version of this. Like, how do you do things that may not be viewed without obsessing about whether or not they're going to be viewed? And I don't like. I hmm. I mean, I don't know that I do anything. Like, I like no, there is like like so, like the. Like, there's a horror podcast that used to be a weekly thing I did with my wife called Till Death Do Us Part, um, and then it turned into – and we did one a year <laughs> after my daughter was born. Right. And we d- did one in June. That was something I started because uh, I just wanted – like, my wife and I often watched horror movies and then would share sort of like, how'd you like? did you like that movie? Yeah. Like, you know, you talk about it for a couple minutes on the ride home and then never – like – Part of the enjoyment of a podcast, part of what I like about it is that it's a forced conversation in which you are, mm. you have to start articulating your thoughts to fill space. Um, and that often will take you down roads in which you end up, you just have to bring more to the table. You have to have a more in-depth conversation. You end up bringing more to it because it is the, it is a false conversation. You are faking a conversation and then you have to fill that space. And so I knew my wife and I both had more things we wanted to talk about, uh, and say about these films. And so it was in an instance where let's just force it. Let's just say we're going to do a podcast where we got to talk for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I've had all sorts of really amazing critical conversations with my wife about movies that we like and dislike. And um, I, I have missed that we haven't done more of those for good reason. We just don't have time and we're tired. But um, that's an instance in where like, yeah, I think, I don't know, like I'm trying to think of the numbers off the top of my head. Like when we even doing it like regularly is like, I don't know you know, 800 people were listening a week, which is like, just not a lot of, I mean, that to someone that doesn't have an audience, like that probably sounds like a lot. Like for me, that's like not a lot of people because like, that wasn't the point. Like right. I mostly was just doing it because if anyone wants to listen to me and my wife do a, like a severely underproduced podcast <laughs> that is going to have an inconsistent schedule in which we're going to talk about movies that are not out right now. Like it's just, we want to have a conversation. We're recording it and just happening to share it. Cause we thought, Maybe there are some people that would want to listen to it. Like that is an instance in my life where I do something that is mostly for me, but like the contrivance of it being a podcast that is recorded and published forces us to like have a longer, more interesting conversation than just let's talk about it over dinner because it's just the dinner conversation doesn't go nearly as in depth as much as when we're asked to like come up with bullet points and things we want to talk about because I just don't do that over a dinner conversation. That's much more casual. It's much more surface level. So that is an instance where I have something that is mostly for me that kind of gets shared out, but I don't stress over yeah. the numbers. That said, if I could somehow transition that into writing about ga- <laughs> Yo, if someone wants to pay me to write horror full time, I will leave this job in a heartbeat. Damn. Um, wow. I, like, that's something no I'd like loyalty. to do. That's something I'd like to do in the future. Like if yeah, somehow yeah. that laid a path to doing some. I've been writing about video games since I was 13. Like, I, get like, <laughs> I get you. I get you. I get you. If I could it. leave that life behind at some point, like I, I could. We I could launched use a, a podcast so we could talk about things that were in video games. We did that twice. We did it twice. We did two of those in the last six weeks. Right. I'm there with you. Right. So anyway, but it, but like that's that's a long shot. That's not going to happen. I mean, write about video games until I'm 60 probably. Um, it pays the bills. But um, that is something where it's just, it's just for me, and I don't worry too much about anyone else listening because that's just something between me and my wife. Yeah, the I, I will say, of course, I have a similar thing, right? Like the the ridiculous Kanye West podcast that we put out once every once in a while with some of the friends of the table people is easy for me to do, and it's a fun thing for me to do, and it's a way to make sure we have those conversations about how disappointed we are about 2018. Um, but 
mostly it's easy for me to say that because I have all these other creative outlets, right? So I think the thing, one thing worth remembering about Daniel's situation is like Daniel, someone who wants to do creative work for a living, right. we get to do creative work for a living. Um, yeah. So I'm so, so sympathetic and like, I'm not long past that hustle. I spent years as a freelancer and as a blogger getting, you know, a couple hundred views here or there. Um, and, and, you know, you're happy when someone views. links out to it because 100%. like that one, that one link, like I remember, um, like that's part of the reason I started like that worth reading thing at, at Giant Bomb was just like finding some way to link other people's. The first time I was in because... worth reading, I fucking lost my shit. Go talk to my <laughs> friends. I was like, yo, yo, yo. Because I remember that. Like, I think we all remember or, you know, are, and are different, you know, yeah. times removed from where one person paying attention to your work like meant Everything. the world. And so the thing I want to say there is like, don't worry about like promoting your own stuff. You have to be your best. You have to be your own promoter. You have to be your own marketing team. You have to be out there sharing your stuff. Like, and it's hot. not egotistical to want to have people read your stuff. Like, it is not shallow to write something, share it with the world, and be like, it would feel good if people liked this, engaged with it, and responded to it. Like, that is that validation. I still crave that now, yeah. every day. It's a huge part of my drive. Like, that is not. It is not. That is nothing to feel weird about. That like. I spent time on a thing. I would love it. It would make me feel good if there was a response to it. Rob. Yeah. Well, I was just, just going to say you also, you also have to make a point of enjoying other people's work. Uh, yeah. Because – and that, that doesn't just mean like going around Twitter and being like plus one to that. Big ups for that onion style article uh, that I admire. <laughs> um, but what it does mean is there's a couple things. First of all, like – Every every trade, every craft is going to have cohorts. Uh, like yeah. find people who are in a similar position. Like try to like find work like that, and you'll sort of lift each other up. Uh, those people will be valued acquaintances and peers for ages, even if you end up going your separate ways uh, in in life and, and careers. But the other part of this is um, people are a lot more likely to check out your stuff if it is in some way relevant or speaks to. The stuff that they care about and the stuff that they make. Uh, like, it's a bit like a P- the difference between a PR blast where it's like, hey, we know that you love, uh, you know, insert random mobile game here, right? You know, we, or, we, we're, or better yet, the, we're offering an interview with somebody completely outside your fucking field uh, so you can just uh, please promote this widget that we're releasing this Christmas <laughs> versus somebody who reaches out and they like, want you specifically because your work is relevant to the stuff they're putting out there. Be that second person. And that does mean like investing the time and getting to know like the bodies of work and interests of other people. Totally. Yeah. Um, I also say that, you know, uh, to, to add on to the community thing, like I, I know like our forums have, threads that are like share your work threads or like share like looking for feedback and things like that so there are communities out there um where where that is like where they are looking for that and that is like actively encouraged also writing even if no it is not being seen is not futile because you are in the practice of the thing that you want to do so the fact that you are writing every day and doing the 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 creative work is uh so important just to stay in practice so not nothing 
is uh, is futile or, yeah, or pointless totally. or or you know it is all work and it is all practice and is all like going to help you refine your voice and 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 make you a better writer so related people should come read uh natalie's first uh, no. article on the site oh, in hell yeah the last, in the last little bit uh hot pot panic is a charming fake friendship simulator uh people may remember that we used to have a, a an article uh uh, sorry, a, a, a section column. called Free Play, a column called Free Play um, that's about free games, independent and alternative games, and any anything that's free. So demos, all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, just kind of a short write-up about bringing your attention to something you might not know you can go play for free right now. And Natalie is bringing that section back with uh, a new, uh, maybe once or twice a week. It was like twice a week is what we're going for. Um, mm-hmm. And the first one is up there now. So go read that on the site. Congrats to Natalie. Promote your shit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some some tips I'll say on promoting stuff in 2018. Uh, I cannot oversell the like screenshot a thing you wrote, a good line from a a thing you wrote technique. Selling something based on the headline and an image is like never as effective as selling something that kind of summarizes and says in your in your most um, either most funny, most clever, most powerful phrasing. But the in point your that you're voice, trying to make yeah. in your voice, yeah. uh, especially as you continue to build. And that was like, that's that's been the strategy for me for whatever, four years now. Don't feel bad about resharing something. Twitter moves so quickly um, that, you know, I, I think in our experience of using Twitter, we often see mul- tweets multiple times, but the majority of people who use Twitter do not see tweets. Uh, very long there's like a short window of time in which you can see it and also it's super easy to ignore someone who's like hey i'm sharing this thing again like good good like let them share it again uh that's not a big deal so so make sure you're out there promote your stuff if you're proud of it you know if, if you're working on it you should be proud of it and if you're proud of it like share it right like that's that's one of the hardest things to do but but get it out there there are limits, obviously. Like, it's, I've definitely had people respond to, to conversations that they're not in that aren't about the thing they're about that are like, hey, can you read this article for me and give me feedback? Which is like, <laughs> we've never spoken before. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, and you're asking me to read this essay yeah, read about, the room. about hey, Read the room. Read the room. <laughs> and, and I think that can be frustrating because there is such like a, a, mytholo- a mythology of the go-getter who gets out there and like puts their work in front of people, and there it goes. And I think that goes speaks back to rob's thing which is like find those conversations and and those cohorts that are actually the people who are at the place that you're at trying to you know build their own portfolios have conversations with them about about their work have kind of a productive and that's any field that whether that is like whether these are opiniony articles or oniony articles people are out there doing <laughs> other opiniony stuff and other oniony stuff people are doing satire people are doing when you never you never know which one of those people is going to be the one that gets plucked out right yep. so it's like i would not know. be here without cameron Kunselman. i've said this before but like cameron and i were both in the same cohort of like blogger cameron had a, a setup at paste and cameron brought me into paste to write about um, I don't even remember what our first article was. We co-wrote an article together. Um, uh, and I think it was about an indie game like conference, like a live stream conference. Uh, we wrote about that together. And at that point, uh, Garrett over at Paste is the one who was like, yeah, keep writing for me. And from there, like that was it. that was the thing that happened. I've already written for you know a long time, either on tiny baby sites that I was helping to run the way a lot of people do in their, in their teens and their early 20s, uh, or just as a blogger on my own site. And like you're, that's exactly it. You never know who is the one who is going to help you build that bridge forward. So because then you can help bring those people with you. And, totally. You know that's a big huge part of what we try to do at Waypoint is like trying to 
figure out those people. Oh, who can we pay that wasn't getting paid elsewhere? There's, there's, and there's because too many people. Once, and once you're in the ecosystem, it's not a guarantee, but you got to sure as hell got a better chance once you have something you can point to. Totally. Once um, you have that that portfolio that says like, oh yeah, I've been published at blank. Like for me, going from Paste to getting a couple of reviews at GameSpot meant the world, right? Not that Paste is not a, a, a publication of note. I, I love Paste. Again, I would not be here without Paste. But there, for a certain type of reader and a certain type of editor, showing up on GameSpot meant something in a really big way. And all I hope for is that Waypoint has been that for a couple of people. Has been like, okay, hey, yeah, I, I, this is from... I'll say this is like one of the biggest things when I was at Giant Bomb setting up our freelance program there. Um, and Patrick, I bet you ran into this because I know that, that that effort started with you before I was even there. But like, yep. there were nothing but brick walls with trying to get that thing going because CBS oh is not, was not as a company built to do that, right? CBS no. that freelancer system. system was one of the most surreal experiences of my professional career. Like they were not meant. It was not built to bring in anyone but employees, uh-huh. and that's those are the yeah. You, you managed to finish the project that I began, and uh, uh, you did most of the work on that. Let me be exceptionally clear. Um, but yeah, like there are institutions that are sometimes not built for, to even like bring in outsiders. Like, well, and one of the hardest. Go ahead, Rob. As someone no. who wrote for that system, yeah, for just us. Yeah. I didn't write much for it. Uh, mainly because I did the math and I was like, invoicing through this may not actually be profitable. <laughs> uh, but wow. like the moment I knew like we were not in Kansas anymore is you had to go through their contractor system. And yeah. they've got a one-size-fits-all contractor system. And they start out by asking you a question. Are you going to be invoicing for a quarter million dollars or more? <laughs> Or less than that. And that was like the two ticky like boxes. It was like, yeah. so are you like a quarter million or higher vendor? Or like, are you small? And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> much smaller. Like, but like, and then those questions were like, oh, so are you going to be, if you're going to be on site, are you going to be protected? Are you going to have like safety gear? <laughs> what? How much equipment do you need to borrow for this assignment? Uh, what? The because comment section can be bad, but it's not that bad. <laughs> Do you carry legal liability uh, insurance? Uh, for yeah, it's like it's amazing because it's CBS because they're like getting contractors to like go on set or or to go on yeah. you know to to go across the world to build something for something. You know what I mean? Um, and the biggest thing ended up being and and we we solved this. But when I started that program, when I started trying to build it, they were like, "Well, we cannot work with someone who does not have." prior publication we cannot do it like we need it's too risky to work with someone who does not have a proof of employment in the field which when you're talking about two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more when you're talking about construction or production or whatever i get that but we're like yo i'm just trying to pay someone a couple hundred bucks to like write a thousand words about the division please let me do this uh and that that sort of stuff we solved it i want to be clear like it was solved we i ended up working with some people um who at the time who've gone on to do great things like i i it is a great point of personal pride that i got to work with gita jackson and with heather alexander who would go on to to do great work at kotaku rob you and i worked together there and like I, I worked with a bunch of incredible people through that program but that problem is not unique or was not unique to cbs interactive plenty of places have that sort of situation where it's it is hard if you do not have a portfolio to move into that space um and and so yeah so like getting getting that building those relationships so that you get the person who's going to fight for you to get you into that space means so much 
Um, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll answer a few more questions before wrapping up. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, um, what is everyone good at? That's the question that Basil wants to know. Uh, They write in and they say, this isn't necessarily a question about video games, though I suspect for many, if not most of you, it will be. I was recently asked, what are the the three games of any kind that you are best at? And I found myself stumped. It became an interesting exercise in thinking positively about myself, but was surprisingly difficult to even come up with candidates. I eventually settled on crossword puzzles. Are these even a game? Yes, those are games. (laughs) Contract Bridge. And Scrabble. Wow, Bridge is fucking bridge is hard. hard. Can I just say, like, Bridge is so complicated and hard. Yeah, Bridge is <laughs> Bridge is wild. There are some good Idle Thumbs episodes about Bridge, in which I had I like caused me to go on a spree of learning about Bridge, and it seems it seems oh rough. the partner rules. Yeah, yeah that's uh, Jake. Uh, yeah, I rem- yeah, those yeah. are very good episodes of Idle Thumbs. Yeah, Natalie, were you, have you played? Have you are you, do you have a Bridge partner? Oh God, no! I had to learn about bridge for uh, uh, at NYU. The intro class for the game for the game center is Games One Hundred One, right? And I had to learn the rules of bridge for the class, and it was so complicated and like impossible to learn when we were doing like the card games unit. But um, we had to play a round of bridge. I remember in like the the seminar or the. What is it called? Recitation mm-hmm. uh, for for the lect- that lecture, and I it was just it was funny. But. People should look up bridge rules. They're they they are wild. Uh, Basil says, I'd like to ask the same question of y'all, but maybe more generally, what are the kinds of games you're best at? Do you like them better for that reason, or despite it, or do you not even like them better? <laughs> best, Basil. I love this question. That's a great question. What are the Who games you're good at, answer? Natalie? Yeah, if you like the question um, so much, what's your step answer? up. Be good at answering this question. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, obviously, as you can see from the 36 hour that we did, I'm exceptionally good at Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> oh, mm. No, that is a full lie. I'm really <laughs> bad at it, I discovered. Uh, much to my memory's dismay, because I had painted myself as like an acclaimed Dance Dance <laughs> Revolution. Award winning. <laughs> Award winning, and I'm not. I'm absolutely uh-huh. not. Um, I would say the games that the first came to head to came to head that came to my mind of that I'm best at are um, Pcross Pcross games I oh, love yeah. and I'm pretty good at those. Um, I'm currently playing Pcross Two, which just came out on Switch, so I'm playing that and I love those games. Um, I'm also really good at Solitaire. I love playing Solitaire, and it like. I don't know why, but I've I can spend hours and hours and hours in um in a solitaire, just like 
over and over and over again doing multiple solitaire rounds and they just released a solitaire game for switch that is not spider solitaire it's klondike solitaire which is the version i like best mm. so i'm very excited about that damn that's a very i i wish man i should get into some different types of solitaire i never really uh, learned anything else by it's, it's really fun yeah i don't know why um and then i'm trying to think of a third one so maybe somebody else should go while i think of my third one hmm would you look uh, for, for you go ahead as, as, for me it's like like the larger umbrella of it are sort of like like it is sort of platformers but it's like like Mega Man 2 is one of my favorite games of all time and like like action uh, platformers yeah like which then encompasses things like Spelunky Binding of Isaac I think it also brings in like Dark Souls mm. like there are a lot of like splinters out from there um the things that are like very twitch action based in which like a lot of what you're doing is very in the moment decision making that involves your fingers as opposed to like like part of the reason i uh don't like strategy games is i just tend to struggle with like thinking ahead an hour of what i'm supposed to be doing and working towards that goal like i work better in games that demand immediacy and so Mm. i think that uh helps explain like both my preference and enjoyment and skill at like those types of games i mean it's a it's it's a reason that like when i started playing dead cells that like i was rolling over a lot of it was because like i just have a lot of institutional knowledge in which other types of games that are playing other types of things i just immediately apply to this game and that i'm not having to get over certain humps so like those are like there aren't many game genres that i like find myself saying like oh i'm good at like i'll i'm confident i want to jump into this and be pretty good like that's why i kind of felt that way about dead cells people like this game's hard it's like i'm sure it's hard but like i actually feel good about going into it and being like i don't think it's gonna be that hard for me it's like the one genre in which i can like reasonably say like i know i'm going to be good at this because for whatever reason it just sort of clicks into place and actually like fits into like a larger model of my life in which like i'm much better at things that are in front of me Hmm. in like small to medium projects than like longer term thing like big things like that's why i've like struggled to ever conceive of like writing a book because i just don't know that i would have the mental capacity like i'm like oh if i could write a book could each chapter be a like you know could it be like an anthology or like each chapter is building to a larger point the idea of like coming up with a narrative that would like fill you know you know 200 pages like i just don't know that i could do that and like Mm. it's weird how that maps to my own like playing habits rob you seem deep in thought Oh, so wait, Patrick, did you basically give us, like, one but really broad? You didn't give mm-hmm. us three? Okay. I don't think I have three. Like, I okay. think it's, like, like, I don't know that there are, there are other games that I'm probably, oh, like, if I'm being, like, hyper-specific and, like, a game that, like, I'm good at, it's, like, it's it's that. And, yeah. and it's spoke. That's fair. Because I can tell you, like, oh, Spelunky, oh, Dead Cells. But, like, it's really, like, if you're to to dig into, like, what it is, it is, it is like, a specific type of kind of platformer action game Um and then a bunch of games splinter out of that. Yeah. Hmm. I have like two categories for sure. And they're opposites in some ways. Um, and also one of them I think I'm genuinely good at. And that is like tabletop RPGs of like the story game variety. I run I run a lot of those. It's a thing I do. It's a game. Those are games. And I do well at it. And I'm proud of that. And I've worked hard at getting good at telling stories with my friends by way of playing like tabletop role-playing games i just want to point out there's a a, a distinct amount of uh 
Um, Robin doesn't seem fully convinced yeah. by Austin's argument. Uh-huh. Um, it's not coming across in the pie. No, just, I just want, as an observer. I, I think I thought about it. I was skeptical. I was being elitist, and <laughs> yeah. then I thought about it again. Uh-huh. Like there's a skill to like because it's a bit like improv, especially if you're a game master. Yep. Uh, not not like a game master, but like a like your GM <laughs> in an RPG system. Uh, there is a skill. Like like being a, a useful yeah. collaborator uh, in an RPG is a skill that is valuable. I know that because I've had bad GMs, and and I do my best not to be like them with my players. Uh, the and I think that I'm genuinely good at that in a way that I think I'm I can be confident in. Uh, the other thing I'm less confident in, except in this very broad sense, which is like I think games. There's kind of maybe two subcategories here. One is is kind of tactical games, tactics games, especially the super hyper like subgenre of like tactical roguelikes uh, of like the Invisible Ink and Into the Breach variety. Uh, mm. uh, but then also the other the other thing there, so tactics games in general, especially those. But then also like card games like Hearthstone or Netrunner or Legend of the Five Rings or Magic. But I'm not actually good at any of those. I'm just better than the people who play them less than even me, right? So, like, I'm not good at Slay the Spire, but I'm better than other amateurs at Slay the Spire. Mm, if you so sp- for your class. Yeah. For your yes. level. Like, like I'm not going to put in I, – I, whatever, however many hours I have in Slay the Spire – uh, or, or even in, in Invisible, uh, you know, maybe in Invisible Ink, I, I actually got to be pretty good at because I put enough time into it to where I really was in a higher class of, of a higher class of play. Fuck off, Austin. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like I, I put it enough to to where you would just say by our count, you should group me in a different class of players in different like weight class, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. In in but for something like Slay the Spire or Hearthstone, where I have not put in a lot of time. Um, uh, so this fire, I have like a minuscule amount of time in, right? I have like 30 hours in it. Um, that's, it sounds like, that sounds like a lot, but compared to like, I was on a podcast for, I was on a three movies ahead about it with people who had like 300 hours. They'd beat the shit out of me if that game had a competitive mode. They would kick my, my whole face in. Um, but to other people who put in the amount of time I've put in, I think I would do much better because Mm. i have like a really good understanding of these rule sets in general and games like this in general the structure of a deck builder the structure in a roguelike of figuring out your character build early and not trying to like do everything and making sure that you're willing to specialize and throw out stuff you don't need um in a game like invisible ink or uh into the breach i'm pretty good at anticipating future moves and making sure that i don't make moves that shut off my own ability to make diff to change uh, and go in a different direction in the future. I'm also super rusty with Invisible Ink, so every time I jump back into it, I'm like, you know, fuck, this game is hard. Uh, but that's probably <laughs> those are the ones that I'm like, I think I'm genuinely good as a GM and as like tabletop story games, and then I'm like better than my weight class in uh, in tactics and especially in like t- like tactical roguelike stuff. But if you've seen me stream XCOM, you know that I'm also like. Quick to make bad choices, quick to make you know some misclicks. The stuff that still marks me as an amateur. But isn't that? But also is. But some of that's fueled by your own confidence. That oh you yeah. Can do it right. Like the reason you're making those amateur hour mistakes is because you yeah. have a certain confidence in yourself that is fueled by like past accomplishments. A hundred. I mean, we, Rob, you can speak to this for sure. Like we're at the point of the XCOM two thing now, where it's like there isn't a hole we can dig that we can't climb out of. Partially because of that game's like power curve, we've just gotten so strong. But also partially because like 
we've pulled ourselves back from the brink on some missions where we have royally fucked up through some like pretty clever maneuvering. Um, And it's fun. That's part of the fun of that game for me. Yeah. That's definitely a case of uh, we sort of learned on the job. And at a certain point, like, I don't know that we're great XCOM players. We're really great with these sorts of characters we build. Uh, And at this point we've got sort of our tool bag and XCOM at a certain point, we'll just let you like use those tools again and again uh until uh, until all the uh chosen are dead um yeah i i think what am i good at hard question not much it's hard uh no no, no hold on i i think <laughs> there's another issue here which is that uh it's sort of what austin was referring to the uh like slay like slay the spire you start playing a game like that and it's very easy to quickly realize like i'm not good at this at all because chances are the people you're going to meet who are playing that who are active players play a lot of it and they're going to stomp you uh they've got a lot of experience and so you're going to discover that the people who have self-selected to remain in the community tend to be pretty good like the game clicks with them they've invested the time they've 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 gotten good at it uh so are you good at it well, you're better. You're smarter than the average bear, but you're not going to be playing the average bear in a competitive environment, not for long. And so, I think there's this 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 has come up around the RTS space a little bit. In the '90s, real time strategy games all had single player campaigns. They were a very popular genre, uh, and part of it is because they it was easy to make an RTS game that looked a lot better than a lot of other games that were out there at the time. Uh, but the other thing was. Most people weren't playing against other people, and so you could play an RTS game and be like, damn, I'm good at this game. And one of the things that... <laughs> I made a lot of mammoth tanks, and I sent that to the other base, and I destroyed yeah. it. That's me. Yeah, or maybe you had like a regular land group you played with, and like you were good in that setting, and so that was fun. And you're like, damn, like I'm really good at like brood war and then you log on like you get an internet connection that's decent you start playing and you realize like i'm fucking trash at this game and so i i kind of look at this as i'm not very good at most of the games i play like i am going to be better at most racing games than somebody just picks it up but like among serious racing game fans middling at best probably not even that competitive uh, you know, war games, I tend to be like, I play a bunch of them, but I tend to not get great at hardly any of them. And so I tend to play like overly cautious, conservative games. I'm still trying to figure out the rules. Um, so, I mean, the things that I sort of look at as my strong suit is like, you know, racing games, because not a lot of people take them seriously. I kind of do, but I'm going to be middling at best there. Um, a particular type of war game, like anything that's really about like a lot of like less about reflexes, more about laying the groundwork and like lots of planning and like mm. setting the stage beforehand. Like mm-hmm. that's my kind of shit. You're good at subterfuge. Eh, I'm again. You made some good plays. You made some good plays. I was playing differently uh, in this game. I, I, yeah. I like I, I, I think I kind of clicked with what you have to do in subterfuge, and then it was a different sort of game. Uh, and then. Tactical shooters, but not like milsim shooters, but not action shooters. Mm-hmm. Like my sweet spot is anything from like battlefield speed through like fear. First, in- first encounter assault recon. Right. <laughs> sure. I mean, thank you. Thank you for spelling it. Just in case just, people didn't know. Yeah, totally. I didn't. So thank you, Rob. <laughs> Have to educate the youths. <laughs> oh man, Are, is fear available in any sort of like? I mean, I think it's on yeah. Steam mode. 
No, it's oh, no, but any sort um, of flavor. It's just it's on timeless. I, apparently. Um, I just thought of one more thing. We're in this pat ourselves in the back segment. It's actually a thing mm-hmm. I wish I could do more of because this is not I'm good at it. It's I think I'd be good at it if I got to do it more, mm. which is I've done a couple of like Destiny raids. Uh, I've done some like, you know, I've played some MMOs and done a couple of raids in, in that scenario. And I don't have the time in my life to like play those games in a serious sense. But when I've done raids, especially when I've done raids on like a day one no one knows what the fuck they're doing. We're all trying to learn this mechanic together. I do a really good job of just like keeping people happy and like mm-hmm. focused and breaking down raid. Like going through the Callus raid, which was the first uh, Destiny 2 raid on like the night it launched and figuring out baths and figuring out the dogs and like the ver- some of the various mini game structures. Being able to identify those games, which is actually now that I think about it, it's like the same. That's the same thing that I do well in a card game or in a tactics game. It's like, oh, I see the moving pieces. I see where the interaction points are. Do you know that thing in old cartoons where you can tell the difference between – you can tell what's going to be animated because the backdrops are painted in a certain way and then the cells Mm. of the animation stand out? That's what video games look like to me most of the time. I'm like, okay – these are the parts that matter. These are the things that interact. When I do this, this other thing happens. And that will not make me a good player at the high level, but it will make me a very intuitive player who can understand the types of questions that the game designers are asking me to solve. I might not be able to execute on that solution. <laughs> I might have to be like, hey, Rob, can you get this? Can you be on headshot duty for the next like five minutes because we have to get 17 headshots to the open the door or whatever. No. So I'm not good at delegation either, is what we're finding out. I should have picked Natalie, who's the headshot queen. But you know, I am the headshot queen. So Natalie, actually. I need you on headshot. Joyous gamer is well, a stone cold killer. Totally, but like things like that, like things like okay, I was doing that raid on that day one, and I was like, okay, I'm going to delegate who is in charge of what based on what I've seen them doing and based on how asleep they are because it's 3 a.m. And that was actually really fun and really worked out. And I wish I had the time in my life to like do that stuff. Because I think I have the right, the right attitude to like be a coach, but not be uh, like be be firm and make the right calls, but not be an asshole about it. And I've dealt with some real assholes in those situations, and that's the fucking worst. So, mm. all right, uh, what do you think? One more? Sure. Yeah, let's do one more. Let's do one more. This one comes in from Adam, who says. I hope everyone, I want to say this came in before BlizzCon. It's worth noting. Adam says, hope everyone is doing well. Uh, On a somewhat recent Waypoint Radio, Natalie and Danielle mentioned how they felt disappointed by the way Mario Party and Paper Mario have evolved over the years. On another episode, Austin discussed Fallout 76 and the changes to the franchise. Cameron Kunzelman also wrote on the power fantasies in that game, and I was reminded that Bethesda proudly boasted that you'd be able to launch nuclear missiles at other players. That's a pretty massive departure from the anti-nuclear themes of past games. Do you have any series near near and dear to your heart in gaming or otherwise that you felt like uh, that you felt made major turns for the worse as they went on? Also, do you ever fall into that consumerist trap of feeling quote unquote betrayed by a corporation's handling of their IP that you are owed something? Thanks and don't let anybody scuff your shine. PS, I felt betrayed by Metroid Federation Force and other M, <laughs> but my fury has been quelled. <laughs> Uh, I bring this up because we didn't talk about it on Monday. I don't want to like, like I kind of don't want to go in on this because I, 
Well, it's also probably <sighs> I'm frustrated by a range of coverage. It is. That's exactly it. That's exactly t- to some degree. But there was a, an incredibly negative and hateful response to uh, Blizzard announcing Diablo Immortal, a mobile version of Diablo that's being made by NetEase or with NetEase, which is a company that has made some very some Diablo inspired games on mobile, I'd say. And the response was uh, to say it was furious is, is probably putting it lightly from those who were very loud about it. We don't have numbers on how many people that is right. Like I know that it it was all over Reddit for a couple of days afterwards. um, And there was this very frustrating thing where what began as just kind of raw consumer revolt um, quickly dressed itself up as being high minded criticism. You know, it was like, fuck you. And is this an, is this a joke that you would announce this at this thing? And I'm not saying that Blizzard, I, I am surprised Blizzard made this announcement. I think it was they fucked up. Like I think they, it was a, a wild miscalculation absolutely. for a fan event to end on that note. But the response was of a sort that was so enraged. Like during an election week, like, it was just one of those like perfect storms of me rolling my eyes. Uh, of like, there is so much in the world to be fucking enraged with. Look at the news on any day. Uh, yep. To to bring that 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 level of of anger to bear on this felt like a lot. But the the um, the heart of it was this feeling of like, hey, this isn't what we want. And then eventually that turned into like, and also remember mobile games, they're they're exploitative. And it's like, well, that's not what people were mad about to begin with. Don't dress that shit up. Uh, yeah. What people were mad about to begin with was this feeling that this isn't, this isn't there. That it Diablo. wasn't Diablo 4. It wasn't Diablo 4, exactly. That's what, yeah. Um, and that's made me think, like, is there something like that for me? I'm, I'm still struggling. I don't know if there is. Mm. Natalie. I don't ha- think Harry so. Potter. I, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. That has to do more with J.K. Rowling than it has to do with Harry Potter. Yeah, I saw honestly. I saw a J.K. Rowling bot the other day that was like the Weasley's car is lesbian, and that just cracked <laughs> me the fuck up. <laughs> oh damn, we're we're watching Utena in here. Shit. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, um, there's not. I mean, there's. I mean, I mean, even in, let's terms- say in the softer sense, because like remember the question. The question isn't like. Have it doesn't have to be like asshole? you wanted to go to Reddit and yeah. like rage about a game, but like being like profoundly disappointed in a sequel or ultimate direction of a franchise. The the definitely the direction that the Paper Mario games took was like super disappointing to me because the most valuable part of the formula that they had was the uh, battle mechanic and ally system. Like that was the most enjoyable thing for me and that's what i loved and then that was completely gone um but that was that and i and i just didn't play the the rest of the games i don't have like such a loyalty to any franchise that i like oh actually i did try sticker star and that's why i figured out that it was bad but um or that it just wasn't my taste but i just i don't have such a loyalty to a thing that like my disappointments are different. My disappointment, like, I was, like, a Harry Potter stan. My disappointment is in J.K. Rowling in being fucking the worst. And my disappointment is in them casting Johnny Depp for right. Grindelwald when he, yes. and, like, not going back on that. Like, those kinds of things are where my disappointment lies, not in, like, the I, the IP. Or I guess it is in, in the IP itself, too. But it's it's more the way that, like, the creators, like... Like, oh yeah, Hermione could be black. Like we never said mm. it. Like like that kind of stuff just like feels like such a like a 
a cop out and like there there isn't a lot of accountability there and it, it is trying to, to like um it feels very pandering to me and and that's what feels bad but um in terms of games i don't think i i feel entitled to such a thing that i would be super like i i could never imagine myself like revolting um and i could i couldn't see oh now the, the question's gone Oh, but sorry. I'll bring it back. It's okay. There you go. <laughs> um, You've never been betrayed, quote unquote. You never felt betrayed or, or that you're owed something. Mm, yeah, no, I don't because because they're because they're creators and I and and creators do what they will with the things that they create. Like I, like it is, it is cool that we have conversations that there are conversations that are had between audiences and and games are such a particular thing because I think we were saying this in one of the past podcasts but that we that they are such larger time investments than than Uh other cultural products um uh like movies or tv shows or whatever like the amount of time that goes into a typical triple a game at this point is 50 to 60 hours plus um which is a significant portion of one's life. And so I do understand why having like feeling that disappointment is, is, is like, uh, it does feel like a betrayal because you are already going to invest the time. And if that time isn't going to be invested in something that you, you love in a series that you have loved, I I understand, but I could never like take it to, I don't know. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I came up with, I remember, so uh, I've always said that if you, uh, my two favorite games of all time, like, that, like, are rooted in, like, two different types of games that I've grown to enjoy uh, are Mega Man 2 and, and Deus Ex. And mm. I remember even at the age that I was being not just disappointed, but angry at how bad Deus Ex Invisible War was, a game that, like, so profoundly misread the things that were interesting about Deus Ex and it was just it was technically incompetent the story was all over the place it was like i remember being like at at that like when did that game come out uh deus ex war that is 2003 like that was one of the first times where like i played a sequel and like felt <laughs> felt insulted by it and that a game had just like so profoundly misread what was interesting that i mm-hmm. i got it didn't at that time, I was already starting to write about games as, like, a, a deep amateur. Um, but I, I remember that game feeling like a sense of betrayal because it was just so incredibly bad. Yeah. I um, It's funny. It's like I came to that series late and definitely because I knew what two would be, I was able to be like, <laughs> all right, yeah, and that one's bad. That's okay. Yeah. It's ironic because I – the biggest the, – the easiest ones for me to think up are things that are, are were actually big – disappointments over the direction of a game that went into mobile um things like galaxy variant s or whatever the mobile variant is right but the switch version of it um um uh fantasy life didn't get a real sequel it got a sequel on like the phones and fantasy life was like my favorite game in 2014 it's so good and that got a sequel for phones i didn't Uh, even know that i got a sequel not in not in the west not in the west only in uh, japan um and uh things like that um, 
But I didn't. I never got mad about it. I just got like, oh man, it'd be cool if we could get those. There's a lot of that. Uh, and there are times when things have definitely taken a turn where I'm like, oh, this isn't for me anymore. A big one for that is like, and this is weird. I, I like this game, right? But not as much as I like previous entries is Skyrim. Uh, I, I was an Elder Scrolls fan, not since the beginning by any means, but playing Morrowind on my Xbox and then on my PC. I was like, wow, I love this. I love it so much. And like Oblivion blew me away on Xbox 360, even though it started to take some turns in terms of like, you know, it was not as original of a setting. Morrowind, the the Isle of Vordenfell, is this like super unique uh, world where there's this like volcano and there are these there's all these different tribes of people and there's this imperial occupation that's happening, but it's kind of been fought off, and so there's only a couple of cities where the imperials are, and there are these weird mushroom wizard houses. Saying, and, I, I never played. I played dude, like Daggerfall, skipped Morrowind, and then got in, and then didn't play Oblivion. But I remember. Of like the yeah. series was weirder. Yes, if I could, if I aesthetically could, like, anyway, if I could scrap scrap my fingers, if I could snap my fingers, if I could scrap my fingers, <laughs> it would it be worth it? And just have feet, like turn them the into magi, materials. where I get rid of my fingers to yeah, turn them into yeah, exactly. If I could scrap my fingers, turn them into materials, and then like <laughs> alchemy them together into a potion, I must be playing Morrowind because that is the most Morrowind shit. Um, Morrowind felt so good like the the world was so unique and i have so many fond memories of like being introduced to first person i like played a a couple of other first person western rpgs but like nothing consumed me the way that had previously i'd only really played kind of like the Baldur's gate series and maybe like a couple of the gold box dd things like not nothing like that consumed me the way playing morrowind for the first time did and brought me into its world and made me so inquisitive about everything um and so uh, Oblivion was like a step forward in so many ways in terms of presentation, but a step back in terms of the unique qualities of the world because it's basically just like Western fantasy uh, with with a few unique twists, but largely it was just like, oh, okay, there's like, you know, castles and a vampire and eventually a dragon, you know? Um, and so Skyrim continued in that direction. Uh, and I was like, okay. There aren't even there's like not stats in the way there's not like a, a, a attributes in the way that there used to be like strength and things like that. There's just these skill trees, um, and there's not the same kind of uh, mix of all of these different factions. There's kind of just like these three or four, and uh, you know this thing didn't really work for me. I liked Skyrim a bunch. Still, I still played again. You know, if you check Steam, I probably well over a hundred hours just on Steam, not counting my original playthrough you know not counting my my uh whatever my xbox 360 playthrough was um but there was something about it that made me go like okay they're taking they're they're taking this from me uh and and the the follow-up is like and that's okay right like i i'm happy to live in the world in which i only play 80 hours of skyrim you know and but but that people who would have ignored this series for uh, forever because it was as janky as Morrowind is are now getting to to have this version of it. I'm fine with mm. it. There's other stuff for there's so many things for me to go do. There's so many things that I'm like that are in, that I installed on my computer this week, books that are that I have or books on my Kindle, TV shows that I haven't gotten around to, albums I haven't listened to. 
Uh, like so many things I haven't revisited. You know, there, I, I have it in my heart that one of these days I'm going to do a full replay of Far Cry 2. Like, uh, but but uh, I haven't made time for that because I keep playing new stuff. So like, I, I'm okay with those things kind of becoming a little more general and and slipping away from the thing that I once loved. Um, which is why like something like Fallout 76, like I'm good. Like it's it might not be for me. I'm gonna still try it when it when it really releases. I'll still put some time into it and curious about it. But it's okay that it's not for me. Like there's a bunch of other stuff that is, and and I want to save the vigor of, of, kind of going hard at companies for when I think they are when when I know they are either being uh, exploitative of their workers and then there are you know labor abuses when I know that they have a scheme in place to uh, to exploit the the whims and the the kind of the uh, lizard brains of players and get them to. Go, you know, go hard into what is effectively gambling or gambling adjacent behaviors. Those are where I want to want to hit them. When when I know that they are being, uh, uh, you know, uh, transphobic or racist or sexist, like yeah. uh, both in terms of content and in terms of workplace, like that is what I save that that anger for because it is in limited supply. Like it, it I cannot be though, they, and it should be like I can't be angry for this thing is more streamlined and casual with the same vitriol with the same with the same like energy that i can be for and this company has been has mandatory overtime like those two things aren't comparable for me one of those is so much more important um, and that means that I'm not the ideal critic for a lot of people and i think that's fine like in but the same like, way that's okay what if andromeda was better yeah, totally. What if Andromeda was better? That'd be cool. <laughs> but it, you, you, you know, what's the, um, what's the thing that that um, Don Draper tells Peggy? You won't believe how much this never happened. I'll go my whole you life without dare. thinking about Andromeda again. There's so much other fucking shit in my life. I, like it's just that is gone. A too you know what I mean? Deployment of it will shock you how much this never happened. That, that, that's uh, not for fucking Andromeda, man. It will shock that you is not how much Andromeda. Mass Effect Andromeda never happened because there's so much else for me to get like to get to get heated up about in the world. Um, it sucked. I played that game. I wrote about it. I'm not saying I didn't engage with how much it disappointed me. You can go read that piece. It's called Mass Effect Andromeda didn't give me a world worth saving. Like, I, I was very upset <laughs> about it, like, in terms of I'm disappointed. But now I'm good. Like, I put that take out into the world. I, I, I'm still bummed. Yeah, <laughs> they'll do more with it. There, there's other stuff. I got three games I really liked out of that franchise. Sure. I got... A hundred hours or whatever, maybe more, more, because I played through Mass Effect One like three times. You know, um, what's happiness, I get it. I get Austin? It. Is that feeling you get before you want more of it? Three games? <laughs> you're not satisfied with three games. You're not satisfied until you have a hundred. <laughs> oh, nostalgia is a Greek word. That <laughs> means. All right, uh, I think that's gonna do it for us. Before we wait, what is what is has Rob ever been angry? No. Yeah, Rob, have you ever been You're cool, an angry cool, gamer? Because when, when this question came up, you your initial reaction was to go, yeah, I, it seemed like Ooh, you had I something. I missed that facial expression. No. That was a different... <laughs> no, what is it? Man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, some quick hits. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Got a list. I'm sorry. He's the Heir to the Empire trilogy was canon. Okay, it was canon, uh-huh. and it was a good I, continuation yeah, okay. of Star Wars that was like and it still better exists. than no it fucking doesn't. It it didn't happen. It's basically fan fiction at this point. It's trash. Okay, fan all that shit good. out the window. Yes, but it's not real, and it was real, and now it's not. <laughs> just like Tie Fighter. Wow. So they destroyed that, and I'm very angry. Uh, Total War. Uh-huh. They used to have a risk style map, and holy shit, like the strategy campaign actually worked when they had the risk style map. But the masses, the commoners, were like, oh no, we must have a 3D map because 3D is inherently better because we're gamers and technological advancements are like mesmerizing to us, like right. fucking shiny keys. So, Can I years put something years out later, in the world? The Total War game still, like, it's a 50-50 shot whether or not the campaign layer works at all, whether it's even, like, borderline competent. But nobody fucking notices because nobody remembers Medieval. I remember Medieval, but everyone looks at me like, Rob, let it go. Jesus Christ. They, like, they've got so many games. Like, find one that you like. And it's like, no, they all have to be for me. And, like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like, I'm sorry. Ron and Hermione shouldn't have gotten together. Ron is bad news. Okay. okay? You're going to do you're going to doom an important female character, an empowering female character, to a life of dealing with a guy who spends th- like six fucking books tearing his friends down until uh-huh. they make him feel special. Holy shit, what a nightmare outcome for that character. We all know how it should have gone. We all read the fan fictions. Hermione should have been with Harry. It's even sort of hinted at in the, like halfway through that seventh fictions. book. But no. Detour straight back to Ron because hey, absolutely get back with the mediocrity. Who's nagged you for eight years? Wow. Rob, you're starting to sound like the person who made the tweet that made me go to sleep for the first time. <laughs> Can I read you cool. this take? Is I've been I've been finally telling people about it as I because I looked it up and the tweet in question has since been deleted or the series of tweets in question are no longer what? on Twitter, which means this person isn't name searchable. The inspiration for have you ever read a take so bad it makes you immediately go to sleep? Can I read you this take? Yeah. Yeah. Please. My fear is that The Last of Us 2 is getting made not because the principals of Naughty Dog need more money, but that they're doing it for the staff. Their thought is, this will make enough money to really take care of everyone who works here for years and years to come. Their thought is, uh, sorry, uh, they continue, we should burn down our greatest achievement, The Last of Us 1, to help Julie in accounts receivable put her kids through, through college. Well, I disagree. Art suffered enough in this century. Julie and her kids have barely suffered at all. It's disproportionate. Real take on someone who is disappointed that that there would be a sequel to a thing. That is cruel and unenlightened. That is about <laughs> that is about punching down. I don't punch down. I see. I'm not just, like no. You. I'm just speaking truth on behalf of to power yeah, on, uh-huh. on behalf of gamers. I'm just being consumerist. Like these companies, like think they're entitled to like massive profit margins based on like popular games, and they totally abandon the people who got them there. I'm thinking about the little people. I want to just break gamer things. Just gamer Am I things. Right? Find Rob Zachney's <laughs> new uh, column over at the Escapist. Uh, starting, going home, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I broke my rule. I was like, I'm not going to throw any punches, and then <sighs> yikes! Punch. All right. On that note, I think we're going to wrap up today. Thank you all for joining us, Natalie. Where can people find you on Twitter? At Natalie Watson. How about you, Rob? Uh, at Rob Zachney. And Patrick. 
Yeah, Patrick Kopik. Find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Find Kato at A Kato. A underscore Kato underscore appears. Find everything we do at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypoint vice. And waypoint.vice.com, as always, if you could go give us a, 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 a review over on iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever it is you listen to us on, uh, Google Play, please do that. Spotify. Spotify. We're on Spotify now. Um, go go shout us out and, and give us a, a thumbs up or a five star or a review of some kind. Uh, it means a lot because that is the way that we get the word out there. As always, thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. And as always, if you have questions that you want added to the old question box, box, bucket. What the you, fuck? What the fuck's a box? All I know about <laughs> is buckets. Gaming at Vice. That's all I be, that's all I be making, buckets. All I make is buckets. I make them buckets. Gaming at vice.com is the address. Use the subject line question and we will be sure to see it. Does anyone want to take us out with some words of wisdom on a day like today? Every time Ed is in an episode, she completely destroys the tonal consistency of Cowboy Bebop. Like, I just don't understand how people are like, Ed's the best. One of the great characters of the series. Do you not see how good the Spike and Vicious episodes are? They're amazing. Why couldn't it just be about, like, samurai mobsters? That sounds fucking awesome, right? That would have been cool. But no. Peace. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.